Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, and if you're brand new, I hope you brought your helmet with you. You're going to need it for today's Bible study. We're right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation story, the futuristic event that John was given on the island of Patmos when he cried out, Lord, what's going on? Where's the deliverance? What can I hope for in my present situation? And the Lord, instead of delivering John out of his present situation, which I'll be honest, he, he rarely does, instead he gave John revelation in his present situation. He gave John instruction. He gave John a heavenly vision. He showed John on the island of Patmos 2,000 years ago what he was going to do in the future so John could ah, take a deep breath in the midst of the storm and then write that down and then disseminate that information to the church, which is you and I. That's us together. It's a church, by the way. It looks like a warehouse on the outside, but it's a church. You were tricked. It's a church. And as we study this book, God wants us to be equipped to do something, I'm just going to say it this simply, to, to stay the course. Stay the course. I'm really hoping you as believers are growing in maturity. Okay, there's, there's a milk diet of the word and the spirit, and there's, there's manna, okay? It's like it goes from milk to bread, you know? And there's meat. And, and as you grow in the Lord, he wants to mature you. He saves you. You're just a little baby, a little baby Christian. And he says, as newborn babes desire that pure milk of the word of God. Just, oh man, just get it. But the Lord wants to grow you and grow me because we're in the middle of this journey. And as you walk and grow in your faith and that faith muscle is strengthened through every single trial you go through, God wants to use you in your life and the lives of other people, listen, that don't yet know him. This is why it's important. It's not, we don't just go to church. We don't just, you know, claim Christianity. And, you know, it's not just a box you put on your, you know, death certificate or whatever. I don't think you can check your death certificate, by the way. It's too late. You, know, you tell the Lord, I checked my box. No, you didn't. You know, I was a Christian. I mean, that's funny stuff right there. It'll, it'll make sense to you later. It'll, it'll make sense to you later. So as we get to Revelation chapter 12, the big idea of today's teaching is that because we know the end of the story, we don't have to spaz out. In the book of Revelation, God tells John what he's going to do in the end. He's going to wrap all things up. He's going to make a new heaven, a new earth. All things will become new. It's legit. Because we know the end of the story, we don't have to spaz out. Do you guys ever worry about the very end of the story? Anybody freaking out if God knows what he's doing? Anybody freaking out if God knows what he's doing in the end? No, that's, that's out of our pay grade. He's got it. But here's the application. Because God knows what he's going to do in the end, we then are allowed to not spaz out in the middle. How many of you guys are in the middle? Raise your hand if you're in the middle right now. Okay, just so you know, you're in the middle. You're not at the end. You're in the middle. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a bunch of stuff to do. And if you're honest, it's a bunch of temptations to, listen, spaz out, freak out, tap out, to wig out, to weird out. There are opportunities every single day to get weird, to get squirrely. Why? Because you're in the middle of a war. You're in the middle of a spiritual battle, this epic scene. We're going to see it in Revelation 12 today. I want you guys to brace yourself what John sees on this movie screen of the panorama of life. And God declares to him what he's doing so that way John can not spaz out. I use that phrase, stay the course, when I'm walking with people through their seasons of life. And I, and I, get, to, I get to be there when people lose their health, they lose their marriages, they lose their jobs, they lose their kids, they lose their, their peace, their freedom. And one of the, the phrases I'll keep putting out there if I, if I dialogue with you is, stay the course, stay the course. God's going to do what he's going to do. Your temptation now is to get out of your lane, overreact, underreact, rebel, harden your heart, stiffen your neck, disengage, whatever. That's your temptation. Same with mine. Listen, especially based on circumstances. Can you imagine if you made all your decisions based on circumstances alone? And we would be overreactionary all the time, spazzing out, tapping out. Stay the course. Do you know what God is doing? Do you know Romans 8, 28, that he causes all things to work together for his good, for those who are called according to his purpose? He causes it. He didn't say all things are good. This world's full of things that aren't good. There's things in this world that are downright evil. And if you as a believer here, people are making up stories all the time where evil comes from and what's going on and who's, who's at fault. And as believers, you better know what I call the grand meta-narrative. That is the overarching story of what in the actual world is going on. So that way, when you're in the middle of your situation, of your war, 
you don't spaz out. I like war movies. I like uh, true stories. Last Sunday after our third service, me and some of the other pastors weren't tired yet, so we decided to go to the late showing of uh, 1917. So we went to the 850 showing of 1917, this war movie. And I'll tell you, what, there was only four of us in the movie theater, just us four pastors. That's it was there, you know, so <sighs> super fun. If you know about the movie, it's a, it's a true story based on real events of World War I. And just one, one story of many stories, and it detailed this real war. And there was evil, and there was protagonists and antagonists, and there was epic scenes, and there was courage and bravery and honor, and there was sacrifice and heartache and chaos. And there's no way to glamorize war. You can't glamor. War is, war is hell. It's hell. It's death. It's evil. Yet, let's be honest, here we sit in peace right now. It's pretty good. The coffee's still fresh. They're making coffee right now. So it's, it's a pretty good day. Sun's out. But there's a war going on as we speak. And you're in the middle. And when we understand this, when things go from bad to worse or from good to bad to worse, you can understand why, why the world is the way it is. It's upside down and the system is broken and the pressure mounts and carnality runs wild at times. You guys realize that this world isn't organized the way it's supposed to be, right? It's broken. It's hard, it's hard for us as Americans to figure that out because we have so many good days. I mean, we really do have so many good days. I probably believe I have more good days than bad days where I just redeem the day. Everything is great. The coffee's super caffeinated and strong. My kids are super quiet. I can't even see them sometimes. It's so great. You know? <laughs> I'm kidding. I've got some in here probably right now. You know, and this is, it's like life is great. And then there's other days where last night I was putting this together and and a series of people, different people, different, different connections to me, giving me information about their life, what was happening. And it was just chaos, just one after another. And I just, I hear my phone chime, you know, and, and I just, I, don't, I didn't want to look at it. And then people I, I love dearly, close, close people, just really going through it. And if you don't know, if you're not mature, if your roots haven't gone down, you don't know, oh yeah, we're in a war. We're in a war. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. We wrestle against principalities and powers and darkness and rulers of high places. The devil and his cohorts, his evil plan, it's real. And if you don't understand this, then you're gonna spaz out, you're gonna tap out, you're gonna make the wrong reactions, you're gonna do the wrong thing, and then when the people around you need counsel, are you gonna be able to say, stay the course? You're being tested. God didn't bring you this far just to bring you this far. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, but this situation, I know. It's horrible. It's evil. It's wrong. I get it. And in the history of the world, it's been that way from the very dawn of creation. You realize this, right? Have you read the history books? Have you checked history out? And what we want to do is we want to have, listen, this is where I'm going with this. We want to have a heavenly vision to apply to our current condition. Remember that story in 2 Kings 6? It's one of my favorite stories. 2 Kings 6, Elisha and his buddy Gehazi are waking up early in the morning, and Elisha sends Gehazi to Starbucks to get some coffees. And 2 Kings 6, read it yourself. And he gets up and he goes to send him to get some coffee. And when Elisha's buddy Gehazi goes outside to get some coffee, he sees this army has surrounded them, and they've come to capture them because they're mad at the man of God. You remember this story? And Gehazi runs back in. He's like, alas, master, we're going to die. And Elisha's looking at him. He's like, where's the Starbucks, bro? He didn't even go to start you, man. And then Elisha, I'm going to read it to you. Elisha prays. He says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Stop right there. Eyes up here. You guys, if you haven't read the Second Kings 6, read it. And, and God is fully in control. There's an army. They would even come and capture them. And God would blind the Assyrians. You know this story. And there's more that are for you than are against you. Do you know that? First John chapter 4 says, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. 
God knows what he's doing. And even if you feel surrounded, even if you don't have the health bill you're looking for, even if your marriage did fall apart, even if your kids have walked away, even if things aren't going well, even if you feel persecuted in your present situation, God still rules, God still reigns, and he has a plan. Do you know that? That's good news. Stay the course. Stay the course. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Like how it says in Psalm 23, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't buy property in the valley of the shadow of death, okay? Just walk through it. There might be stuff for sale there. Don't buy it. You know what I'm saying? A bunch of fizzbos for sale by owners. Don't do it. Just keep going. And he's with you. He's with you. What I want to do is I want to develop an Elisha mentality. Where's my coffee? Oh, you got spazzed out? Okay. Hey, Lord, would you open up his eyes? Show him. You guys can read the chapter. It's crazy. The Bible says in Romans chapter four that God calls things that are not as if they already are, that he's able to call that which is dead alive. God, the God that we serve is beyond what you're experiencing right now. This is the good news. You can apply this to your life. You can give it to your friend's life. You can counsel them. And so as we get to Revelation chapter 12, just pinch yourself. In Revelation chapter 11, if you remember, John was given a reed to measure the temple. And he measured the ark and he measured the people. He was on earth doing stuff. And the two witnesses were rose up and there was a battle on earth. and It was all on earth. And in Revelation 12, it starts a different imagery, in my opinion, where instead of being on earth, John looks up and I'm just gonna call it a movie screen. Read it with me. Let's read the first six verses. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. Just imagine a movie screen. And a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared. Here comes the antagonist. In heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore him a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Verse seven, just for context. And war broke out in heaven. This is in the middle of the tribulation. And his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon with the angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Stop right there, eyes up here. As I mentioned, I hope you brought your helmets to church today. This is some heavy duty stuff. And as John is given this panoramic vision, I believe if you could imagine with me that it's both futuristic. John, this is what I'm gonna do. But John, this is what's already happened in your recent history, the birth of Jesus just in the last 50 years of John's life, and then historical ancient history. And I believe kind of going back and forth, this vision of what in the world is going on. Because I don't know how you guys compartmentalize human history have you ever thought about ancient history and the Stone Age and the weird stuff that happened back in the day? And you think, man, that was crazy. Those guys must not have had internet or something. You know, what's wrong with those people? And here's the deal. As a matter of fact, if you're a historian or been to university, they have different names for the periods of history. They call the years 3600 to the year 500 ancient history. And they call the Middle Ages 500 AD to 1500 and then from 1500 on, they call it the modern era. And now in this day and age, because we have a totally new set of factors, they call this the progressive era. It would have been modern era, but now we're way into this new internet, social media. It's crazy. Things are changing faster now than they've ever changed. Now, here's my point. You could take history and you could take the modern area and the dark ages and the middle ages. You could take all that and, and accidentally think that they're different sections of time. Let me just tell you right now, they're not. There's what I call, and others call as well, the grand meta-narrative. That is from the very beginning of creation to the very end of civilization. It's one God, okay? One story and one plan. 
The whole story is told in every generation of life from the very conception, Adam and Eve. And the whole story is right there in their conception and who they are and what God intends to do through Adam and Eve is he promised through Eve that through her he would send the seed of the woman to trample the head of the serpent and through her the whole world would be saved. You guys realize that, right? And so after Adam and Eve comes Cain and Abel. And what did the devil try and do right off the get-go? Cain kills Abel. War ensues, chaos, a flood is required. And right after that, there's raised up these children, these people of faith. And through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and leading through this and into the flood of the earth and into the Pharaoh and the Exodus and all of this we see throughout the scriptures, listen, is God's story of redemption through his promise to Eve and to Adam in that he would provide a son. What's that son's name? Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And here's where I want you guys to listen and learn. I was going to say listen and obey, but that's what I say to my kids. Listen and learn. <laughs> but also to apply this to your own life. Is it both important for your, your mind, but it's also important for your understanding of, of how the devil looks at you. If you're a child of God. You see, don't get it twisted. The devil and God are not in this holy tug of war where some days God has a good day, you know, and some days the devil has a good day, and they're equally matched, that's not true. God is fully in control, absolutely. He, he needs nothing. He has submitted himself to this thing called creation and this epic battle, and he already knows he's the rightful winner, and he's asked us to participate and to understand, and dare I say it this simply, pick a team. Which team are you on? What flag you're rising to the top today? What are you believing in and why? And he's given to us ample understanding and information so that we might know that he is the legitimate hero. Now, if you've read history and if you've read your Bible, you know that there are no truly perfect heroes in history. Right now, my wife, she's doing a different through the Bible uh, reading plan, and she ordered a chronological Bible. So it's not Genesis and Exodus. It's chronological in fashion, so it's all kind of messed up according to when they were written. And she was making comments to me yesterday about Joseph and some of the patriarchs and about how those guys were straight weirdos, man. They did stuff that wasn't cool. And if you've ever read the Bible, everybody in it, nobody does everything right, right? Nobody does everything right. Because it's not about everybody. It's about one person. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about God's plan that wouldn't be stopped, but that would be thwarted. And so as we read this and understand this idea of this epic battle, let's start in verse 1 and let's identify these first three characters. We had a woman who was, had a garland of 12 stars. We had a, man, a boy who was born. That's Jesus, obviously. We had the serpent. That's the devil. But let's make sure we understand who this lady is. Look at verse 1. It says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. I'm just imagining John seeing this. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and her head, a garland of 12 stars. Now, I can tell you who this person isn't, okay? I can tell you this person isn't Mary Baker Eddy, who said it was her, by the way. Mary Baker Eddy said, hey, this is me. She was reading the book of Revelation. She goes, oh, that's me. I'm this woman. And then she came out with this birthing of the Christian science religion, and Tom Cruise is part of that, and all these other people. And, and she said that anybody who opposes her and Tom Cruise is the dragon. You know, she's like, that's the story. It's like, I don't think so, Mary. It's the wrong. You're not reading it through. And so she pretends that's her. Other people actually take this woman, clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, garland of 12. And they actually say, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She births the baby Jesus, and it makes sense. And I can see how they could come to that conclusion. But as you keep reading, what happens to this woman throughout the rest of Revelation, it's not the mother of God, Mary. It's not her because the things that happened to her in the Revelation didn't happen to Mary, who was the most blessed among women. Okay, but she is not this woman here, but it is indeed another mother. Let me just go ahead and read it one more time. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and her head a garland of 12 stars. This points us all the way back to Genesis 37 where Joseph had his dreams and the moon and the stars and the sun all became one family following God's plan that through Joseph would come Jesus Christ. And Joseph's dad was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. God governs. God contends. God fights. And God wrestled with Jacob. And he changed his name to Israel. Let me propose to you. I believe this woman 
who's clothed in garlands and all of this and then would bring forth the Messiah isn't Mary necessarily, but is instead Israel and the Jewish nation and God's plan and promise through the very beginning of time through his people that he chose. And so let me then connect the dots quickly. If this is this woman, the Jewish nation, which I believe it is, it is also by grafting and adoption, it is you and it's me. That is, it is the children of God. And we see this great war waged against this woman and the attack will go on. And I believe this is specifically going to be leveled at the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But have you noticed that there's not just attack against the Jewish people, we call it anti-Semitism. But have you noticed there's an attack against Christians in general? Have you noticed that Christianity is kind of under attack? It's kind of weird, kind of a weird deal. Like, by and large, Christians are pretty nice people. Like, we love people we serve. We actually believe in morals and right and wrong and forgiveness and love. And then and now, next thing I know, I'm in trouble for being a Christian, you know. Where does that come from? I need to tell you, it comes from Satan, okay? Because if Satan can't take God out, and he cannot, he's going to attack the next nearest and dearest thing to God, which is his kids, Okay. The Bible also calls the church his bride. I got one wife sitting in the back, three kids. I don't know where they're at, somewhere here. And if you mess with my wife or my kids, okay, you're messing with the closest thing to me. And I tell you what, the attack that has come upon the, the Jewish people and the nation of Israel throughout time and the attack that is now coming upon the church, okay, it is fueled by Satan and the blindness and the evil that he brings. Now, most of you in here probably are not Jewish today. Maybe there's a few Jewish brothers and sisters here that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Most of you are Gentiles. The word Gentile means anybody who's not a Jew. God chose the Jewish nation of Israel to bring about the Savior Messiah. Jesus then, through his death, burial, and resurrection, birthed the church. And so anybody with faith in God is linked directly to God himself as the bride or the child of God, the children of God. And therefore, you find yourself under attack. Now, let me just quickly chase a rabbit. Where to catch it? It'd be awesome. Anti-Semitism. That is this hatred for the Jewish people. It's not new. I don't have to explain it to you. You know all about it. It was more exploited and understood in World War II with Hitler as he exterminated six million Jews off the face of the earth and deceived his people to believe that this was an ethnic cleansing. And why, why would this happen? Let me just give you a few stats to consider. Satan hates the Jews just as much as he hates Christians. I would say it so plainly just as much as he hates all of humanity. But his targeted attack is towards people of faith. Did you know that the Jewish people today in 2020, it's 2020 still, okay? There are roughly 18 million Jews alive today. 18 million just so you know, that's a very small number. It's such a small number, it shouldn't even come up on our radar. It is so small. There are 370 million Americans, okay? There are 747 million Europeans. There are 1.2 billion people living on the continent of Africa, okay? There are 7.5 billion people in the world, and only 18 million are Jews to this day. So it shouldn't even, as a matter of fact, if you're going to use statistics, it's 0.2% of the population. That's take 1% of the population, divide it into 100 parts, and take two of those 100 parts. That's the Jews today, okay? They're, 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 they're numbers-wise, they're nothing. Minuscule, they shouldn't be a problem. Have you ever heard of the nation Israel? There's only 8 million people living in Israel today. 8 million. The population of Israel is 8 million. Okay, the rest of the 10 million Jews aren't in Israel, and Israel has other people living there as well. It actually doesn't make any sense why they would be such a problem and why there's such a burden and why the book of Zechariah says that Israel and Jerusalem in the end days would be a cup of trembling and not one nation or ruler would know what to do with it. That's what it says. That doesn't make any sense. There's not enough of them unless there's something more diabolical happening behind the scenes. By the way, this anti-Semitism is just crazy. That means a hatred for the Jews, okay? An unjustified hatred for the Jews. Did you know that the Jews go down in history as the ones who invented solar power, okay? Drip irrigation, vaccines, vitamins, supermarkets, grocery stores. They invented this idea of going to get stuff in that way. Parking lots, okay? These guys, polio and the disease, they, they, they cured that. The, I'm gonna say it this way and, and quote me. The Jewish people are the most brilliant and the most gifted people in the world, okay? Point blank. They, 
53% of all Pulitzer Prize awards have gone to a Jew. Okay, 53, more than half, okay? 22% of all Nobel Peace Prizes have gone to a Jew, 22%. One-fifth of all Nobel Peace Prizes have gone to the Jew. Now, again, I say that because there's seven and a half billion people that are eligible for Nobel Peace Prizes. And there's like a few Jews, and they're like, oh, we win them all, I don't know what's going on, you know. And I, and I contrast that, so why would they be hated? What's going on here? Just like you, you're, you're, you're a Christian, you're trying to do good, you're, you're following the Lord, you love everybody, you're, and I'm hated, because if you don't understand that it's satanic, you're going to spaz out, you're going to freak out when things get weird. God's chosen the Jews. Did you know that Albert Einstein was a Jew? Sigmund Freud was a Jew. Bob Dylan's a Jew. Bob Dylan, man. Pray for Bob Dylan. He, he walked with Jesus for a short season of his life. He actually has some commentaries about the Bible. As the testimony goes, he was in a low point of his young life and on the music career, and he was walking off stage after a show. Here's his testimony. He saw something shiny on the stage, and it was a cross, a metal cross. He didn't know what it was. He picked it up, put it in his pocket, and a couple hours later, he was in his back room, just, and he pulled it out, and it led him to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I read that story, and so when he played in Medford, I bought tickets to the Bob Dylan show. And before I went to the Bob Dylan show, I went to the Christian bookstore at the mall there, and I bought a handful of silver crosses. No joke. And I went to the very front there, and I pretended I was dancing, and I was throwing silver crosses on the stage the whole time, you know, because they had security guards. They were looking at me. I was like, I'm going to get this guy back on the team, you know. And I, don't, I don't think it worked. Bob Dylan. Goldie Hawn is a Jew. Adam Sandler. Ben Shapiro. Mark Zuckerberg, inventor of Facebook. The list goes on and on and on. Those are people that you would just recognize. If you look at the, again, they make up two one-hundredths of a percent of the population of the world. It's impossible that they would have that much to offer to our society, be hated that much by our society if there wasn't something else going on. God's not done with the nation of Israel. I personally don't agree with everything they do politically. Okay, but we are called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to love our brothers and sisters. Because if you look at the panorama, as God raised up Adam and Eve and began to populate the world, and Abraham was called, and Abraham begot Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Satan has attacked throughout time, even as Haman was raised up in the days of Esther and tried to wipe out the children of, of God. And not just Haman, but Pharaoh before that, and Hitler after that, and the list goes on and on. And so I identify to you, verse one. By the way, we're going to finish this chapter. I don't know how you guys are going to do this, but we're going to finish. We've got to hustle. Okay, I'm getting away from my notes. I'm just going to preach now. Great sign. Look at this, verse two. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now again, I believe this is the children of Israel. This pregnancy started early on. Have you ever seen a woman when she first gets pregnant? Man, it's so cool. There's this promise given, and they're, I'm pregnant, yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know what happens next? Pregnancy. <laughs> Have you seen that part? Woo! Stuff, you know, read a book. It's crazy. <laughs> and so here, this, so here this, this girl, look at the verse 2. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth throughout the nation of Israel's time. Okay, she's been in pregnancy and labor. Continued pain. For, for what? For God's promise. The promise. When you're pregnant, there's a promise. There's a baby coming. That baby was delivered 2,000 years ago, but the promise remains. What God is doing, the whole entire story. Look at verse 3 and 4. We see it get uh, more intense as the antagonist comes in. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. Okay, this is Satan. Having seven heads and ten horns. This again mirrors what was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7 about this European union that we're going to see. More of that in chapter 13. Seven diadems on his head. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Stop right there, eyes up here. We see a lot covered in these verses. This serpent, this dragon is cast out of heaven. Do you guys know that Satan wasn't always Satan, but he was one time Lucifer? He was the chief worship leader in heaven. And he had this perverse thought that he kind of wanted to be just like God. He's like, you know what? Everyone loves God. I'm, I'm kind of not, I'm not I'm a pretty big deal too. And his hands were like tambourines and his organs, pipe. He'd sing and he was amazing. 
And he had this perverse thought and he lost his place and he was cast out. When he was cast out, he took a third of the angels with him in rebellion. They're now known as demons. And what did they have intended to do when they got to planet Earth? Wreck havoc on everything that God cared for. It says that he comes down. Look at verse four in the middle there. It says he came before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was. Have you thought about the, the hatred of the Jews and the annihilation of the Jews throughout the Old Testament? This, this devil comes down. Oh, there's a plan, a plan from Eve to bring forth the one. Okay, well, I will take out your people. And throughout the Old Testament, these wars and these fights, there was one portion of time in history where the nation of Israel, the children of God, were down to one sole king of Israel. And had that king been killed, the lineage that would lead to Christ would have been wiped out. It got that bad. The devil. You also know prophetically that the devil was there when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago and Herod as he annihilated the babies. Look at verse five. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nation with the rod of iron and her child was caught up to God in his throne. She prevailed. The pregnancy brought a birth. Jesus was born and here in verse five, we see his death, burial and resurrection and ascension noted here. Jesus is victorious and John's here watching this meta-narrative, this story Verse six, I believe now we're looking into the future beyond John, beyond us, then the woman, that is God's children on earth, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God and that there should feed her there 1,260 days. This is the last half of the tribulation period, the last 42 months, the last three and a half years. And here's how most commentators interpret this, that during the tribulation period, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will be left on planet Earth. This includes the Jews. Jews who do not know their Messiah left will be left behind. And during the tribulation period, God will unveil their eyes and they will come to recognize Messiah just like you have and they will give their lives to Jesus Christ. And the persecution will begin. And when the persecution begins three and a half years into the tribulation, she will be driven out of Jerusalem where the Antichrist has set up his throne at the Dome of the Rock Mosque and all that's gonna happen. And she will be forced to flee to the wilderness where God has prepared a place for her for 1,260 days. This is the last part of the tribulation. Most people believe she's gonna be driven east into Jordan where there is these walled cities in this place called Petra. Some of you have been there and seen it. I don't believe all of the Jews will go there, but there is a fortress created for them. It all pieces together. And the application is, as John gives this revelation, is that no matter what happens, God has a plan. Stay the course. Do what's right. Don't spaz out. Even in the middle of the war. Look at the next verse, verse seven and eight. You guys, man, we need to buckle in because we're gonna, we're gonna rip through this quickly. And war broke out in heaven. Chronologically, if you're with me, this is happening right in the middle of the tribulation period, future stuff. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, the demons, and they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And the dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Stop right there, eyes up here. I just need you guys who are, are new to these things to, to hear this. There will be a time in the future where Satan will be cast out of heaven and have no place there any longer, just as I read. But you gotta ask yourself, what's he doing in heaven in the first place, Pastor Luke? What's going on here? The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And in Job chapter one, we see Satan as the fallen demon goes back to heaven. He's been cast out, but still has limited access. And he goes to heaven and he talks trash to God, listen, about you. And he accuses you to God. He says, you know the reason why they worship you? You know the reason? Because they have it too easy, like he said about Job. And then he also goes into heaven and he tattletales on you, you who are believers. He said, do you see what they're doing down there? Have you seen this? You're about to bless Pastor Luke. Have you seen what he's been up to? You know, and he tells on you, he's the accuser of the brethren. And there will be a war though. One day, the Bible says right here, where he will be allowed no more. We're gonna see a party in the next couple of verses as all of heaven rejoices. Finally, that accuser, that liar, that deceiver has been cast out in the future, the very near future. But let me go ahead and help you with right now. How many of you guys living still right now? You're here? You're looking forward to the future, but you're still in the middle? I'm in the middle too. I'm in the middle. And right now, the accuser of the brethren, okay, he accuses me. He comes into my life and he reminds me of the things I've done. I don't know about you, but when the accuser of the brethren, the devil himself, comes to shame me, he never accuses me of things I haven't done. There's actually enough information and arsenal on the table to just use the stuff that I've actually done. He reminds me. He brings up that memory, that flashback. What, what, what was that? Where did that come from? The devil. 
And he tries to stunt you and to stifle you in your progress moving forward. And when you attempt to be a good dad or a good mom or a good wife or a good husband or a good friend, I'm gonna start a Bible study. I'm gonna start a life group. I'm gonna start the five by five program and read. I'm gonna witness to my neighbors. I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna forgive that person. I'm gonna do a after school good news program. I'm gonna volunteer as a coach. I'm gonna go volunteer as a student aide. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna pray for my president. I'm gonna do these things. And the devil comes and says, you are? You're the worst person in the world. Don't you remember what you did back in second grade? You know. Don't you remember? And he accuses you day and night. Now, the Bible tells us something interesting. It says, when you're accused by your adversary, agree with him quickly. And then quickly point him to the cross. Instead of defending yourself. Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't mean it. Let me explain. I was in a bad place. You know what I do? I, I say, yeah, absolutely. Not only did I do that, I did more you don't know about, devil. <laughs> and we're going to see the one, two, three combo in verse 11 of how we overcome the enemy. See, I believe in this portion of scripture, now we're getting into some real futuristic, prophetical stuff, but that the enemy of the devil will be coming into heaven while we're there during the tribulation period. And during that time will be what's called the Bema Seat Judgment. That is where God celebrates who you were and who you are from the life you lived on planet Earth. He's gonna reward you. And I believe based on what we see here that the enemy will be there heckling you when God gives you rewards. You can't, you can't give him that, don't you know? Boo! You know, he's going to be throwing banana peels at you, you know, and air horns, and the devil's going to be accusing you day and night until the war is raged and he's cast out. Look at verse 9 again. I read this last night a bunch of times, and it just it made things very clear to me, and I hope it does for you too. The great dragon, this is in the future, was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's the part that got me. Have you looked at this world and just thought, what in the heck are they doing? Have you looked at culture and communities, political leaders, coaches and locals and pastors and people? Have you looked at yourself in the mirror and not even been able to make eye contact? Have you been so frustrated with what you see? What is going on? And right here, it's labeled. Satan has deceived the whole world. There's a delusion. There, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against lies and principalities. This helps me to understand, oh, that person I'm laboring for right now that is acting a fool and throwing everything away, oh no, they've been deceived. And then all of a sudden you have compassion for them and empathy for that person with a hard heart and a stiff neck and dull ears, the one that's fighting with you and the one that's sinned against you. Wouldn't it be wise to wonder, maybe they were deceived. Maybe they were preyed upon by the enemy himself, which will allow you to then prey upon them P-R-A-Y, not P-R-E-Y. That'll make sense later for you. <sighs> Talk about it at your life group. <laughs> Guys, let's get to verse 11. We'll be done with verse 11 and 12. Verse 9 continues, He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice. This is how heaven erupts. This is in the future as Satan is bound forever from heaven and we're coming near to the end of all things. And heaven, this loud voice says, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Stop right there, eyes up here. Do you guys remember the seventh trumpet in, in chapter 11? Verse 15 and verse 16. And the seventh trumpet was a declaration that God was going to reign. God's going to do what he's going to do. And the seventh trumpet was all of heaven saying, thank you, God, for taking your power and reigning and ruling upon this world. Yes. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. And here, heaven says, oh, man, what's, what's wrong with everything right now? It's the devil. It's Satan. He's been out to take down God's plan from before time began in heaven. But there'll be a day. There'll be a day where he will no longer have access. And all of heaven will continue to worship. Look at verse 11. This is what I want to, I want to camp on before we close today and take communion. This, this is a futuristic declaration we can apply to our lives right now. And they overcame him. That is, they overcame the beast. This seven-headed, ten-horned, seven-crowned beast. 
They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies, and they did not love their lives to the death. Stop right there, eyes up here. This threefold pattern of victory will serve you until you die. Number one, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. In the book of Exodus, when the death angel came, God instructed the children, Moses and those in Egypt, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your homes, at the top, on the sides, and on the threshold, forming a perfect cross. This is thousands of years before Jesus. And those who had the blood applied would be saved from death. And when they would go to the altar in years to come and worship, they would apply the blood of an innocent animal. And Jesus says, you want to overcome the enemy in your life? It's not about you. It's about my blood. You guys realize this, right? You want to overcome the enemy this week, today, right now? Step one and number one, apply the blood to your heart. Apply the blood to your heart. You can leave here today and say, I'm going to be perfect tomorrow. Good luck. I choose to forget. I met with this one person one time, and we were talking about acceptance and God and rehabilitation. And this person said, I, I've chosen to forgive myself. And I said, no, I said, that's, that's important, but God has to forgive you. No, I forgave myself. I said, go commit a crime and go tell the judge you forgive yourself. <laughs> just tell the judge you're, you're, you know, I just forgave myself over this judge, you know, and just see if the judge says, oh, appreciate you doing that. Get out of here. You're, you're good as gold. No, you need to be forgiven from an outside source, something bigger than you. The blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ did not die in vain, but his blood was spilled in order that he could apply it to your sin and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Colossians 2 declares that there's a handwriting of requirements that is written against you, and Jesus Christ wiped it clean, having nailed it to the cross, making a spectacle of the devil and of his accusations. You realize that? You can have full victory today. Right now, there's people that are sitting here. You're well aware of your past. Your divorce haunts you. Your, your unfaithfulness haunts you. Your lack of ability to, to do the right thing and your inability to not do the wrong thing. And you're stuck. And the enemy comes and reminds you, you're not gonna do it any better today either. How dare you try and lead your family in prayer? How dare you try and witness to that person at work? Who do you think you are? And you hear the accusations of the evil one. You know what you need to apply to your heart? Blood. I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. I've asked myself this in order to get myself out of the ditch. I've asked others as well. Is the sin that you've committed, the thing you've done, is it so bad that his blood can't cover it? Is your sin bigger than his blood? <laughs> Blasphemous. Good and stop acting like it. And when you realize you're forgiven, you overcome the enemy. And the second thing he says here is, not only have we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, but by the word of their testimony. That is how God's blood has changed you, saved you, and has now used you. That will help you to overcome the enemy. And listen, help others overcome the enemy in their life as well. The word of their testimony. When I gave my life back to Jesus in 1998, like the very end of 1998, I had run from God very well from 1995 to 1998. I was really good at running from God. That's not something you want to do. And when I gave my life back to God, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm damaged goods now. I've done some things that I should have never done. I did as many things as I shouldn't have done as I could. How, Lord, would you forgive me? What do I do now? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I forgive you. And I'm going to use you now as I piece you back together in the lives of other people who have ruined their lives, other people who have walked in addiction and have walked in lifestyles that you shouldn't walk in, other people who've done I'm gonna use you in their life as well and I'm gonna restore them through your testimony. Did you know I can stand and share scriptures with whoever I want to until I'm blue in the face or for me it's red in the face? I can share scriptures all day long and if they don't wanna accept those scriptures, nothing I can do about it. But one thing I can do is share my testimony and they have no choice but to say, it's true. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was empty, now I'm full. I was lost, now I'm, I, was, I was all, I, now I'm where I have never, because of Jesus Christ. And the word of testimony, the Bible calls us living epistles. That is where a letter, the word of God, living our lives. Don't even 
raise your hands or look around or make eye contact with anybody. But have you done anything in your life that you're so ashamed of, so demoralized by it? There's no way that you get by any chance of grace bring glory to God. That's the accusation of the enemy. And the enemy says what God, what the enemy has meant for evil, God has meant for good. And if you have fallen, if you have blown it, okay, apply the blood, get your testimony, okay? Listen, this next part, want to overcome the enemy? We're almost done. Check this out. Not only did they have the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. When you apply the blood and you're forgiven, and when you share your testimony because Jesus is real, just like our hoodies say, and when you walk in that style and then say, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm not going to preserve my way or the highway. I'm not going to live for me, myself, and I. I'm going to let God use me however he wants. See, one of the biggest problems with our culture in America today is we're very prideful and we're very selfish. We have so much affluence. We have so much wealth, so much stuff. And the number one concern we have on our minds, most of us, if not all of us, is ourself, me, what I'm feeling, what I'm doing, where I'm going, what you think of me. Once we're done talking about me, how about you talk about me, you know? Let me give you the prescription for depression. This is if you want to become depressed. Okay, if you want to be depressed all week long, here's the prescription to get depressed. Think about yourself some more. Try it. Think about yourself all day. You will be the most anxious, depressed person in the world. Now, if you want a prescription for anti-depression, okay, stop thinking about yourself. I'm not messing with you. Go into a coffee house. Go to your workplace. Go to your school. Walk in and look at everyone and think about them. wonder how they're doing. wonder what they need. Oh, they look tired. Oh, they look hungry. And they, I bet they could use a hug. And you will be the most full, happiest person in the world. How do they overcome the enemy? They didn't consider their lives to the death. They were willing to die. They were living for eternity. This will change everything. There's such a trick and such a trap that says, if I can just get a little more things for me, a little more piece of the pie, a little more me time, a little more my time, I'm going to be exactly where I want to be. Careful. Careful. It's not going to do it. It's a trick. And when you serve others, okay? I asked my kids that on the way over. I said, do you guys know what the acronym of joy is? And Noah, my 12-year-old, said, yeah, Dad, of course. What are we dumb, you know? He said, it's Jesus first, and then others, and then yourself. If you want true joy, serve Jesus first, and then others, and then whatever's left for yourself. You will be full of joy. Guys, there's a battle going on. The world around us, and you can pick on the times of the past and say, oh, those guys were cannibals, or those guys were un- uneducated. or you know. They're just like us. They're just like us. They have an enemy of their soul the accuser of their brethren. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come. He's going to lead us in communion now. Guys, verse 12, I'll, I'll read it to you as Ryan makes his way up here. It says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. I, mean, I need you to see that. The devil is diabolically sick. Even when his time is short and when his future is already secure in damnation, you know what he's going to do? Take out as many people as he can. That's what he's going to do. That's what's happening right now. And I'm going to pray that the Lord would give us discernment and wisdom as the elements are brought out and that we would see and sense and maybe even recognize in your own life the sulfur from Satan himself. Maybe right now you've been squabbling with your spouse. You've been contemplating crazy ideas and Maybe you have a tiff with a friend. You're saying, oh, you're all bent out of shape. And man, I'm going to write that person off. Or maybe worse yet, maybe life hasn't gone perfect for you. And so you're, just, you're mad at God. You're here today because it's the right thing to do. But you're just, you're looking for evidence to get mad at God. And maybe today you'd say, wait a minute. You think the devil's messing with me? I wonder if the devil's messing with me. I'm a child of God. He hates me. God has given me his blood and he's given me a testimony and he's, he's asked me to die to myself and I've been, I've been missing out on all that. Would you close your eyes right now? We're gonna pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are so faithful and so good. And as we come to the table and, and break bread and 
and partake of the cup. We examine ourselves. And, oh, man. We see. We, we confess our great need. And then we proclaim your death. That is your great deed that you did for us. Lord, you died. You suffered. Bled out. Your blood covered the ground. And then we're going to proclaim your return. Because we're in the middle. We're going to stay the course. And so what we do now, be honored, Lord, at the table. But if you're here, before we come to the table of communion and repent and confess and, and stay the course, before we do that, if you're here and you, you would say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, I need more Holy Spirit and I want to be sensitive to the things of God and I want to, I want to apply the blood better. I want to apply the blood, Lord, to everything, to those accusations from the enemy. And I want to let your testimony, Lord, be my testimony. And I want to, I want to de deny my life, Lord. I need your help to do these things. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, but man, you've been just walking around like a lost person. You haven't been doing anything. It starts with that, that, that confession to the Lord. If that's you, would you raise up your hand right now and say, yes, Lord, I need more Holy Spirit. I want to apply the blood, Lord, and I want to lift my life for others and share. And I want to be here. I want to be engaged. I want to stay the course. Raise up your hand. If you just need help, stay in the course. Maybe it's staying clean, staying sober. You're, you're, you're in active recovery right now. You just need to stay the course. Apply the blood. Maybe you're in a rocky marriage. It's, just, it's all jacked up and things aren't right, but hey, what, what, what are you going to do? Stay the course. Maybe you're in a ministry that's just it's difficult. You've been pouring into somebody and they've just been, man, stabbing you in the back this whole time and discipleship and it hasn't worked. And it's, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a relative. What are you going to do? Stay the course. Raise up your hand. That's you. Lord, would you anoint my brothers and sisters? Would you anoint me, Lord, to be strong and immovable? To know what's going on when Satan tempts me, Lord? When he accuses me? Would you make me and the leadership here at South Beach Church, Lord, those who hear your voice and live for your cause and deny ourselves in Jesus' name? Help us, Lord. My hands are up too. Would you anoint us as we come to the table and celebrate what you've done and who you are? Thank you, Lord, for this panoramic vision, this grand meta-narrative. One God. One story, one plan. We celebrate you, Lord. We do what we do now. In Jesus' name, amen.